Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Just want to let you know, because of the nature of the conversations we are having, they may contain some adult language. A $20 counterfeit bill constitutes a man losing his life. Um, and if this situation captured on a public street in the middle of the day, why have we got to that point? I'm Leon Davis, and this is One Good Question. Once again, this is Leon Davis, your host, and welcome to this One Good Question special edition. My guest today is Vince Vitito. You may remember him from back at one of our first episodes. He is a good friend of mine, someone I've had the opportunity to look up to as a black male as I was growing up. Vince was a police officer with the Dallas Police Department, so he brings quite a different perspective to things. Actually, his set of questions were a little bit different because of that. There are a few things that I had questions about that I really wanted to get from his perspective as both a black male and an ex-police officer. So I'm going to go and get you to Vince Vitito on one good question. So the the big thing I think is accountability, right? From when you were an officer, what things did you see? This is something that's progressive. So what things were in place then that are probably still in place now and we just haven't evolved? Okay. The general question is why haven't we moved further than we have, right? Um, Why does it take something like watching George Floyd die to cause us to now decide to take a hard look at this when we've been talking about this ad nauseum for the last eight, nine years, right? Since like, like Trayvon Martin was like the huge one that really started, started kind of the ramp up. That's when Black Lives Matter started and all that stuff. So why does it take something like us having to watch George Floyd with an officer's knee on his neck for almost nine minutes? Right. Why, why, why do we have to watch that video for us to realize, hey, now we need to address this when accountability is all we've been asking for to begin with? Right. Okay. That's a very good question, uh, Leon. And it's a big, it's a huge question, right? Yeah. yeah. Because uh, you know, when we think about accountability and for the uh, time frame of which, like the word law enforcement has been, a, has been basically held accountable, but then not correct yes, yeah. through the years. And we've got a number of examples of which we can, we can talk about that. Uh, you know, myself, as you know, I was a former Dallas police officer. And I had the opportunity to serve the citizens of Dallas. I had the opportunity to help train officers through the academy or work with the academy as far as part of that training. And also to help conduct a, a defensive tactics instruction for officers through the Southeast Patrol Division. And it was always about uh, proper techniques and treating people properly and, and only using the amount of 
force necessary to effect the arrest. And that's that's where um, law enforcement officers are are to hold the ground, right? You only are supposed to use and and uh, meet the force necessary to uh, handle the situation, and then you scale back, right? So again, you have your your uh, levels of force um, continuum that you work under, and you're only supposed to use that level of force. Um, there, are, unfortunately, as we know, there's been the uh, blue coat of silence, and I think that uh, in today's environment. Um, that code of silence is being challenged even more due to the number of smartphones and cameras that are out in the public, right? We also have street public street cameras and businesses have cameras that are capturing a lot of engagement, uh, police engagements and encounters uh, that is unfortunately refuting the, quote, reports that are being submitted by law enforcement in cases. Now, <clears throat> A lot of times when we think about these cell phone videos that are capturing situations, it's not capturing the whole situation because people don't just start filming just because a police officer stopped the vehicle, right? Yeah. At some point, you've missed something that's led up to a point where the the powder keg has gone off typically, right? The uh, situation that occurred and that has spurred the latest round of uh, situation up in Minneapolis with Mr. Floyd was that obviously you had a number of cameras around. You had a number of citizens who were out on the streets and capturing uh, the the, uh, contact from multiple angles. You also had citizens that were concerned enough to engage and have conversation, or at least you heard them attempting to have conversation with not only Mr. Floyd, but also with officers saying, hey, this gentleman can't breathe, you know, get up off of him, et cetera. you know, and, and we know from the video that we see that Mr. Floyd, uh, again, toxicology and everything else, but he was stumbling coming out of the car. We get that and, and, and things like that. But does a $20 counterfeit bill constitute a man losing his life? Um, and if this situation captured on a public street in the middle of the day, why have we got to that point? Is it the fact that officers that work in a certain area for extended periods of time lose sensitivity to the community that they work in? Because they, they become so cold and calloused and basically look at people and say, this is not a person any longer. And then they can treat people the way that we've seen some people be treated, right? Um, that he doesn't, I don't need to move. I mean, I don't think the man, I mean, obviously the man didn't move for eight and a half minutes while he was on this person's neck and the man is pleading, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and citizens are pleading. But, you know, the mindset is that this is not a person, you know, at that point, right? And so, um, you know, what does that, what, you know, what does that mean from a police department standpoint? What does that mean from uh, fellow officers and their contact with their officers, right? Because to be a good officer, you want to be a good partner. You want to back up the officers, et cetera, right? And while we watch the news today, uh, we're seeing that one officer, had actually, this is only his third shift on the police department. Uh, you have another officer that was his first day. So you got brand new rookie officers uh, who are working with senior officers. And this one person who's one, one shift in or is his first shift, I mean, he's going to do what his FTO tells him. And so 
there's that conundrum, if you will, right? Because I need to uh, get good scores on my field training so I can become a police officer to accomplish my goal, right? And at the same time, the flip side of that is, you know, where does the humanity come in, right? And where does it, uh, where do you say enough's enough and you have to break that line? Um, you know, I think back to my days when I was in the law enforcement agency and I had situations, even when I was with a field trainer and I was handling the call, the best of my ability and what was right according to the situation. And uh, he basically wanted to overrule it because it was inconvenience to his schedule. Right. And so I, at that point said, you know, this is the way it should be handled. And I turned it over to him because again, he's my field trainer. Right. And I said, you handle the call. You feel that you need to handle it. And, uh, and, and I let some people know, you know, this is, was it right? You know, and, and, Rookie officers and officers need to have the, the confidence to be able to take uh, illegal treatment, improper treatment, I should say, of, of uh, citizens to their leadership without the fear of being labeled a, a traitor or being labeled as someone you can't trust or, you know what I'm saying, yeah. that type yeah. thing. And we see a lot of that sometimes in the military, whatever the case is that uh, you get caught up in it and you can't say nothing because again, all of a sudden now you are part of the enemy and all that type of stuff. And I think we're going to see a lot of, a lot of change in the community, the way policing takes effect. I think I just saw recently on the news just a couple minutes ago that Minnesota now is outlawing the uh, chokeholds and those type of things. And that, that chokehold is, you know, different styles of chokehold has been illegal for a lot of departments for a number of years. Right. But you know, it's like anything you see uh, people get away with it. You know, Eric Garner uh, cases, you know, one that jumps out in front of you, you know, and you have an officer that uses an illegal chokehold and still it's been, it had been illegal for years and still not be held truly accountable for using illegal tactics. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously, the challenge you have is is uh, I don't think any citizen or, or any person that's going to be combative is going to sit perfectly right so you can get that lateral vascular necrostrate perfect. Yeah. But you know, a, a bar arm chokehold is not perfect. It's not even attempt to be perfect. And you know, again, you got a man that says I can't breathe, and so you had a gaggle of police officers there that should have been able to control one man when you got eight or nine police officers available, right? So uh, I I think that uh, looking at proper procedures uh, and and making sure the officers are taking their defensive tactics instruction is is key, right? A lot of times it's just going through the motion. Oh, here we go again. Oh, handcuffing techniques. Oh, here we go on this technique or that technique. And I think a lot of it has to do with how serious are officers going to be in their training in regards to how to handle combative or, let's say, Passive in some cases, arrestees, right? And then they can see that they're being treated uh, properly. And and the accountability factor of senior leaders or their supervisors uh, calling them out on it too, right? I mean, if you see something wrong, uh, it may be against the department, but you need to say something. You know, I have a good friend, a former sergeant there at uh, Phoenix Police Department. He went up against the city because he called out officers who were doing the wrong thing and leadership wanted to basically shut him up. Right. But he continued to make those calls and and do those type of things. Because again, at the end of the day, we have to look ourselves in the mirror as former officers. And did I do the right thing? 
Um, and did I treat the person, you know, the way I would want to be treated? Or what about my family members? I was an African-American um, police officer working in predominantly minority area or actually minority area. Okay. South Dallas. Yeah. And um, you know, you look at the things occurring today and, you know, my children being out on the streets or going out, you know, getting stopped somewhere and the fear that you have of them getting stopped and being treated properly or improperly for for nothing. Right. I mean, again, it's just that uh, this is the day we're going to mess with this person or we're going to do this or that um, is scary for so many parents. I think that's why we see the amount of uh, activism that's taking place now, because if you can do it on a public street in the middle of the day, what is happening at night when there's no cameras and there's no witnesses around? Yeah. Yeah. So that accountability piece, um, there's another step that should help in this, but it, but I understand that it is built to, I guess, technically protect officers and help officers. But I know you've told me that you weren't a member of the union. So I kind of, another question around that, but first of all, since you weren't a member of the union, if you had a legal issue, would the union cover, still cover that or would they not cover that? Great question. Um, so with the de- with the police department, there's a number of different agencies, right? You had the Black Law Enforcement Group. You had the Dallas Police Association. You had um, the police unions and all the other associations. So there's a number of groups. Um, I was a member of the Dallas Police Association for that purpose is to, one, have a legal representation should I have a situation, right? And, uh, you know, there were times that I had to call on on that service, to have that service, to have the representation. Because, again, as you encounter and have situations occur on the streets, you know, you want to make sure you got to protect you got to protect yourself. Right. And yeah, so yeah. Um, I was a member of the Dallas Police Association. So I did have that aspect of it. When I think about unions, you think about, well, you can't be fired because of this, that, and other. And you had a little bit of the protection as a city employee does anyway, right? Unless you just really blatantly go screw up, whatever the case is, you have a little bit more protection. Um, So again, as I mentioned to you before, I wasn't a member of the Dallas Police Union or Officers Union or anything like that. So I I can't um, attest to uh, specifics in that organization. But under the Dallas Police Association, um, one of the benefits was having the opportunity to have legal representation should I have gotten into or when I did get into those situations where I needed it. Okay. Um, so on that same kind of thread, would you, I know you don't know specifics, but like in general, why is there not more of a partnership on accountability from the unions with the departments as opposed to these officers can do no wrong? I mean, because it really seems that that's the tack that unions take. They're like, no matter what that officer did, that officer deserves to still have his job. Like, and like even in this situation, uh, the union chief in Minneapolis is taking a ton of fire because he was like, these guys deserve their jobs and they shouldn't have fired them immediately. And like, what are you talking about? Did you not watch the same nine minute video that I just watched? <laughs> So um, you hit on it, right? It's because it is a union, right? And and that's the challenge with sometimes the challenge you have is that um, whether it's a police union, a security union, whatever it is, if I don't do my job, I'm still protected and you guys need to protect me because I pay my union dues, right? And that's towing the line, right? Um, and, and that's what we see there. 
you know, I think that, uh, you know, in those situations, you have had, you know, especially in the past, we've seen those cases where officers are, have just gotten off carte blanche because they are, you know, a member of the police department. It goes, you know, just you're free or whatever. Unions are arguing for the case of these officers because uh, they're, they're members of the union. And uh, again, I think that sometimes these people get up on, you know, in, the, in front of the cameras and, and make these statements because they're obligated to for their membership. Because as soon as they stop doing that, then they lose their membership. <laughs> you know, as far yeah. as yeah. people coming to that to that union for a purpose, right? For the added protections and to have a, a unified voice and stuff like that. So, um, I would hope. That even you know in those situations, if you have a member that blatantly uh, goes against everything that law enforcement is, that there has to be some point in which they say, "Do we even you know does this represent who we are?" You know, and until that day happens. Um, I think we're going to be stuck with those unions and those types of situations going against um, what's the best thing for society. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I think that a lot of officers that are part of these unions or associations or whatever organization it is don't want to have officers in their organization or in the, even in the departments that are bad bad apples, right? Because it's a tough enough job just working with good officers, right? Let alone yeah. – Officers that are out there abusing citizens and causing a black eye to the profession, you know, when you're given the ability and the authority to take someone's liberty, you can't take that for granted. You're taking somebody's liberty. And unfortunately, the liberty of so many uh, African-Americans, people of color have been taken fraudulently and under suspicious circumstances and made up circumstances and all the other type of things that these situations, when it comes out in the open and you get open videos and, and proof that these things are actually happening, everything we've been saying for years has is happened back then, but now we're just catching it and saying, here, this is why we are upset because you've turned a blind eye when we talk about it in the past saying, well, you know, Obviously, the officer gets the uh, gets the nod in regards to he said, she said type stories, right? But now you got visual proof, and then you come out and say, "Well, we can't charge him initially." And that's what caused a lot of the uproar initially, right? Well, we can't do anything yet, or whatever. And while they were taking that extra time to make sure they had it right, that's when the uproar started coming because it's like, how can you say you don't have anything when you've got it right here in front of you? Yeah. You know, it's you like it's like bring him in on manslaughter and then do your investigation, change the charges, right? Because manslaughter is easy. Right. <laughs> like, like, exactly. Like, you, you have a man. I couldn't see any real fight that he put up at any point in the video. Uh, they say, get in the car. He says, I will. You know, basically, if they just get up off me, but <laughs> they never did, you know. So he was trying to be compliant, but he was forced still to stay on the ground for that duration. Again, I don't, I can't go through the mindset of what that officer was thinking or even hearing when he had rookie officers asking him, can we turn them over? Should we do this? Should we do that? Only I, only I can say is that at that point, and again, we see that he had multiple abuse cases in the past, you know, obviously prior. Yeah. I truly believe he did not see them as 
human beings any longer and just. So my, cause the whole time his focus wasn't necessarily on George. His focus was, was on the people, right? The people talking to him. And I think that it was more of a, you can't tell me what to do to those people saying, Hey, get off his neck. Hey, you're killing him. It's like, I can do whatever I want and you can't stop me because you can just look at the look on his face when they're addressing him. Like you can't tell me what to do. And he knew that no matter what happened in that situation, he thought in his head, there's nothing that's going to happen to me. It's like, we're going to get through this situation and I'm going to move on and I'm going to get back behind. I'm going to be back on the job tomorrow. Like, you know, and you bring up a very good point because that is the case. And that is a mindset of so many officers. And, and, and again, you have to have that mindset, you know, in a lot of cases, because again, it's going to be my way. We're going to handle it my way, right? We're going to handle it the way that I see it needs to be handled, et cetera. But, you know, you have these officers, you have some of these officers out here that have a power ego, power trip. They got the authority. Again, you can't tell me what to do because I've got this badge and, you know, you interfere, you do this. I'm going to put you in jail. You know what I'm saying? So it's all about the power. They have power over these people instead of uh, working in the community to be and help help maintain control. He's enforcing his power onto them in in those situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, you know, been, it's been exhausting, man. It's been exhausting. <laughs> so. It really has, you know, and you see the outpouring of sentiment across, across the country. You see no one agrees with the destruction. No one agrees with the violence. No one agrees with some of the tactics that have been taken. However, something had to occur to wake people up to at least start having that dialogue we've talked forever people have had that quote okay we're gonna listen but nothing happens we're gonna listen where nothing happens you know just get over it just deal with it just whatever vernaculars used in the past in today's society as blended of a society we've become racially i think that we are seeing additional people paying attention that may not have paid attention in the past because it didn't affect families back in the day. Right. But now you've got so many blended families. And so now you got additional people saying, wait, that's my grandson, or that could be my granddaughter, or this could be my, you know, this is my wife's, my daughter's husband or whatever that relationship is. And so you starting to see uh, more people look at it from a different angle because now it can be my child or my relative that is being treated this way, Ill, you know, illegally, right? Yeah. And yeah. so with that and with social consciousness of, of, um, of our, you know, millennials or whatever groups you want to say, and actually people just being more aware because they're seeing it. It was always before, it was always hidden, right? Because there's no proof these things were happening. You know, and so if there was something that hit, it might hit regionally for a little bit or whatever, and it was gone, you know, but now you have so many different platforms of which information is being shared and people are starting to say, wait a minute, you know, so it hits the, you know, it it hits the public news channel and whatever community, you know, and all of a sudden now it starts to get tweeted all over the place. And all of a sudden it's on Facebook and all, you know what I'm saying? It's so many different mediums of which information is being shared and it catches fire, you know, when someone's being treated improperly. And I think 
people are just one, you know, black people of color are, are tired of being treated improperly. You know, they want, at the end of the day, they want to have a life just like anybody else, right? Yeah. They want to be able to go home just like anybody else, feel safe or not be scared of being stopped by the police or whatever the case is, or be able to walk through the park and not get charged or have someone call the police on them saying they're being attacked when all the man asks you to do is put the dog on a leash, you know, but that hypersensitive and I can get away with this because police are going to believe me because I'm this, I'm this class member, right? Yeah. yeah. You. you know, it kind of takes me back to the days of, uh, you know, when we think about Susan Smith when she drowned her two boys, right? In the car, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, oh, the easy excuse, oh, it was a black male. Well, think about it. That Those police stopped every black male within miles of that situation, right? Every black male. No, I mean, you were a black male. You got stopped. It didn't matter what, who, what, right? Yeah, no where were you at this time? <laughs> they were stopping everything and everything yeah. that walked, right? Same thing with the gentleman that killed his wife on the bridge. You know, the pregnant uh, Peterson, I think his name was. Yeah. You yeah. know, black male. I mean, they throw that out there religiously, right? Because all of a sudden, police react a certain way to that. It was a black male that did this and that, that thing, right? And why is it that it's so charged when it's always that suspect of a black male? Why? You know? And that's a question we got to ask ourselves. That's a question law enforcement's got to ask themselves. Why is it that... Um, people are treated differently under the color of law. You know, why is it our communities are scared of police officers being stopped where the case is? Why? Because there's a historical background, right? There's a history of law enforcement officers stopping black people traveling, people of color traveling and stuff, and then the KKK come and taking over. There's a history of them, you know, basically letting people come into jail and the jail, quote, being overrun and people being lynched. There's a history of abuse and these type of things, right? And, and, and there's so much hidden history, right? You got the people that, you know, I think we just had the 99-year uh, anniversary of Black Wall Street being burned, right? Yes. But you had people that are deputized to go in and kill over 300 people, right? Yeah. Kill over 300 people, burn down communities and such, but they did it under the color of law and wonder why we are worried about law, right? And so if criminal actions aren't being held accountable – then we continue to have that fear of law enforcement, and that is why the cry continues. Why are people being killed under the color of law and no accountability for the actions of criminal actions? Because Lord knows if I did that action or you did that action, you'd be under the jail in a minute. Yes. yes. Under the jail in a minute, right? And they certainly wouldn't be stopping you buying you a burger on your way to jail. Oh, no, no. <laughs> not at all <laughs> that, that, that's the one like hey you know that dylan roof kid that shot up a church a church yeah. <laughs> a church of black people but it was still a church he, he shot people in a church they stopped and got him a cheeseburger <laughs> like exactly. I, exactly i guarantee you yeah. there was no roughing up of the kid they didn't throw him like just yeah. a, they, you want a cheeseburger we're taking you to jail it's probably the last one you're gonna get so <laughs> you yeah, want to stop it hungry. okay let's get you a burger really yeah. Yeah, no. Well, when was yeah. the last time that that was afforded to a person of color, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not happening. <laughs> um, oh, no, no so, it, it certainly is certainly not. But you know, again, I think that uh, um, you know uh, the 
messages is being received. And, and of course, I've already mentioned that no one condones some of the the destruction, you know, no one can know the destruction of property and such. And, and I think back, I, I'm seeing some of the websites, uh, some of the posts and things, and, and people are posting pictures of Martin Luther King. And, oh, you know, he never, you know, never protest, you know, they had protests, but they were peaceful protests and, and this and that. And, and, uh, and he still affected change across the world. This is true. You know, he really did. And, and he, he was a proponent for peaceful protests and doing it the right way. Yet he still caught a bullet for that. Yeah. Yet the, the they year were he attacked with police dogs and fire hoses and police billy clubs and still attacked by gangs of, of um, separatists and, and KKK and everything else under with police officers in a lot of cases. Right. Yeah. And they were doing peaceful protests. So what action should you take to pay attention to what we're trying to say or what people are trying to say, you know? Yeah. So the, one of the things I keep asking people, I'm like, Hey, so should we go, Hey, white people, this, we think this is wrong. So what will make you pay attention? What can we do to make you pay attention? Like, do we have to ask you literally, like we have to come out and ask you this It's like, because everything else we're doing, you find a reason to discredit or to, mm-hmm. It's just like just minimize, right? Yeah, yeah, you minimize it. Yeah, like cases, he's like, right? hey, he's kneeling, he's disrespecting the flag. Time out. Who cares about a piece of cloth? All right, <laughs> you know, it's like it's yeah. like he's trying to tell you something right now. So let's listen to him. <laughs> you know, well, and, and that's it, right? Because again, it makes it makes people uncomfortable, right? Yeah. When they have to yeah. face it. Oh, well, geez, this is during a football game. This is my pastime. This is my. I don't want to think about racial. Uh, injustices and things like that, right? And so is when people um, are, you know, they get upset because, again, you are calling out um, actions that are unjust, but, again, it doesn't affect me, so I don't want to be bothered with your plight, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't want to yeah. be bothered with your plight. And and so, fortunately, we're seeing a turn um, in that, you know, what scares me more too, when we think about accountability is we think about how will America move forward if we are not, um, holding people accountable for the use of our military or other judicial, um, judicial services, right? Yes. So if we are going to, again, turn a blind eye and let things happen that is against the Constitution, um, then where where does that stop, right? I think that, again, accountability from all levels of law enforcement all the way up to the very top have to be called out and held accountable in how the laws and how our rights are protected and again this is so much bigger than just individual rights so again it continues to be a big dialogue a big conversation and one in which more people need to voice or, or share a voice and a and a unified voice because at the end of the day the dynamics and the mix of this country is changing right it's, it's changing right yeah. and that change you're not going to tr- continue to treat people improperly. We want to be treated just like everybody else. Not asking for more, not asking for less. Just treat us 
properly, give us the same uh, accountability and afford us the same opportunity as you are giving to you and your children, right? Why should someone that works hard in school, gets the scholarship to say hard or whatever, have people say, well, affirmative action is the only reason you are here. Why is it that accomplishments that are made by minorities, people of color, always called into question of affirmative action or, you know, you took it from this person or that person. Why? Well, the reason they can say that because they know the obstacles that they've put in your way. And there's, <laughs> that's, and like, if you think about it, like the only reason somebody would say that is like, all right, I know that we as a society have put these obstacles in your way and you got here no matter, you got here even though we put these obstacles in your way. So there's no other reason other than this, that you overcame those obstacles because those obstacles are there for a reason. Right. <laughs> and that's and like, like if you really think about when people say that, it's like, this is what you're saying. You're basically acknowledging the fact that you, you as a, you're not saying that I have the raw ability to do what I'm doing. You, what you're saying is that you don't, believe that I have the raw ability and we made sure that even if you did have the raw ability that there were obstacles in your way so there's something there's something there right you just gotta (laughs) like people I don't think people really realize what they're saying when they say that you're like you're acknowledging racism in that statement I mean, you, you know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, again, I think that as people become more aware, I've, I've been having a number of conversations with people about why this has exploded the way it has, you know. And, and again, you have people that have never heard of all of the injustices that have taken place in the past, and that so many communities and families and everything have to sit and just deal with it or just get over it and everything else and um and then it's like uh you know wonder why um there's so much pent-up anger because no one no one or no one has in the past really truly listened you give the service of listening but we know that listening is you gotta have active listening right you gotta have active listening to truly understand and try to understand the position of the person coming and you're saying what they're saying, or are you already trying to come up with an excuse or an answer as to why we shouldn't be feeling the way that you did? Yeah. Which yeah. is oftentimes the case, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Didn't feel that way. We've mentioned the civil rights movement and things like, like that wasn't that long ago, right? You like yeah. our parents lived through that. You know, you know, I, was, I was a young child at that time, right? Yeah. yeah see, there we go. Yeah. And so I was that's a young child and a lot of that, right? And exactly. it's great. It's like, guys, listen, that wasn't that long ago. It's like there are people who lived through that on both sides. It's like mm-hmm. the it's like the people that had the dog sicked on them, a lot of those people are still alive. The people yeah. that were doing the dog sicking, a lot of those people were still alive, right? It's like right. I think America just wants to be post racial so bad. That we're like, if we ignore it, we can be it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, and it, and it's like, listen, it's like, there's no way that we should be post-racial at this point, because a lot of the people who influenced policy from that point to now were were alive back then and held those feelings back then. And you can't expect a piece of paper or somebody signing a piece of paper to change their feelings. And so, of course, they're going to put things in institutionally to to do the work that they that they want done 
without having to do it physically, right? And they're going to like, oh, if I can put this barrier up here, I can I can kind of achieve what I want to do without being overtly unconstitutional, right? <laughs> and and just amazing, like people won't take that into account. Like, listen, that was only 50 years, 57 years ago, 50 was Civil Rights Act was 50, 56 years ago, right? Martin Luther King died 52 years ago. And I was like, it's like, just because, you know, it's like he died in 68, Mm-hmm. 77 was 70s were like super turbulent race wise 80s they got a little better and then they started making adjustments and i was telling people like buying houses like you know why there's a lot of black people that have houses now is because we're kind of at a critical mass after all the barriers all the significant barriers are knocked down. i'm not saying there aren't barriers now but all the really big significant ones are knocked down and now there's kind of a critical mass of black people who are able to get through the system and buy houses. Right. And it's like, and it should just get better from here. Like people don't think about the critical mass part of it. And it's like, listen, it's like your family was helped by the new deal. Somebody in your family back in the day was helped by the new deal. You know who did, who wasn't helped by the new deal, black people. I was like, so your, your family is probably basically gifted a house. You know, it's like, here, we're going to create, the FHA and we're going to make sure that you can get a house new deal created the middle class that they're like that everybody praises, you know, our middle class was created. The new deal did that. It it basically created the middle class. And and, you hit on it so eloquently (laughs) because again, you think about coming back from world war two, right? Yeah. Yeah. I come back from world war two, basically given a house almost. Right. Yeah. House, you know, but African Americans and people of color coming back from World War II, were they afforded the same opportunity? Of course not, right? Nope, you sure weren't. As a matter of fact, get back in the back of the bus, you know? Exactly. And that's what it was, right? And yeah, so yeah. Uh, there's so many, so much of that, right? Whether it was the Oklahoma land rush and all the other things like that, right? Oh, free land, just go, you know? Or people come, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you can just, you can continue and continue and continue. Talk about the opportunities given. Uh, to different uh, racial profiles versus the others that are, you, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got to go earn it. You got what, what did you, like, you, didn't, you didn't go earn it. Yeah, it was <laughs> given to you, right? You know, or whatever. Or, or let me put it this way: or you stole it or took it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like it's like somewhere down the line, somebody was giving given something in your in your family. They were able to pass some amount of wealth, or they were afforded some amount of comfort where they were able to pass something down to you to give you an ability to do better than they did. And it's like, and those opportunities were not given to African-Americans. Like even something as simple as life insurance, right? Black people couldn't buy life insurance until the seventies. And like, most people don't understand that. It's like, they would not write a life insurance policy for a black person until the seventies. I think it was the year I was born. 77 was when they, when they, and I was like, that's a simple way of passing wealth from one point to another. Right. Even if it's just like, uh, Ten, fifteen thousand dollars. That's a down payment on a house, right? Absolutely, <laughs> right. Absolutely. And and back then, and back then, it was like a forty percent down payment on a house. It wasn't like it was not like now. It's like oh, it's like a drop in the bucket. But like back then, that's a significant like ten, fifteen thousand dollar life insurance policy. But like people are not writing those kind of policies. They're writing fifty, hundred, five hundred thousand dollar. Um, license, uh, life insurance policies, and that's being passed down to their kids, and their kids are able to build off of that. And and so it's like, 
when you've been able to do that generation after generation after generation, and we're just now getting to the point where, where we're in a point to know those things and use it. You can't say that we're not doing what we're trying to do. We're trying to get there, but we haven't had the breadth of opportunity your lineage has. Right. No, you're exactly right. And, and that's part of it too, right? Because um, the education factor and all the other type of understanding that people are having, uh, they understand that it's wrong, right? And they're calling you out on the on the laws and everything that you've written, right? Or you yeah. say that, you know, all men are created equal. Well, then start treating everybody equal. If you say it, you know, and you lay your hat on it, and all this is what you weigh our country on, then, you know, you're being held accountable to, or, you know, they're trying to hold accountable to it. So um, that's a lot of it as well, right? No more lip service. Let's see what kind of action you have. Because, again, that's yeah, what's yeah. going down so often times, whether it's businesses or what have you. You know, we hear what you say, you know, it's just like your kids when they're watching you, right? Oh, here, I heard you, Dad. You said you were going to take us to the park how many times? <laughs> well, until you take me to the park, you know? <laughs> yeah, and they'll remind you. They'll be like, hey, hey, remember that thing you said? That thing you said. That thing. You told me you were going to do that thing. I was like, hey, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Get in the car. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, I know that uh, we there's still so much work to be done and and so, you know, and it all starts with dialogue. And so that's one of the things I've been telling my friends that have reached out to me. I'm glad to have a conversation. And while, and I, I openly admit now, and I said, you know, I have had, I can name number of issues and situations that you can say, okay, racial situations, right? We all have those experiences as African-American males. I said, but my life probably pales in comparison to so many others out there, right? And they and the issues they deal with day in and day out, and it's in their face every day, every moment of every day, and such, right? And so, um, again, we all have those situations that we can easily call up, you know. And but there's so many a majority that are continually kept down every day or whatever the case is and can't get past it. Right. And so those uh, people, how do you act? Right. Do you uh, become angry? You become angry and act out or do you use the anger positively? It, it all depends on how they take that energy and funnel it. Right. How's that energy funneled? And, and uh, a lot of times, unfortunately it's negatively. Maybe, you know, um, and, and I think that as, you know, so that's where the, both sides, right? I mean, again, we got to um, take the opportunities and, hey, these, are, again, we got so many different, you got training, you got all the other things available, you know, and start taking those opportunities and continuing to move forward and, and given a fair shot, because that's what it boils down to, right? Just give us a fair shot. Let us get in the game and the true opportunity instead of, you know, just, Oh, I got an interview, but then you've already got that person selected and we don't even have a chance at that true interview. Right. And those type of things. Just so you can say, I met my numbers or whatever the case is. And again, I'm not saying it happens all the time, but I'm just saying that the dialogue has got to be a true dialogue, a true fair opportunity so that people can continue to prove. Cause again, at the end of the day, 
You just want the same thing that you want for you and your family. You know, at the end of the day, want to be able to come home to our house, enjoy our family, live peacefully, and raise our children, our grandchildren, give them a comfortable life, a life that uh, of education and everything else is like everybody else. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's all we really want. It's like an opportunity, a fair shot, and we want to be treated right. Right. <laughs> so. Nothing more, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not asking for any favoritism, just treat us fairly and give us a fair shot. Well, this has been wonderful, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity to share with you and visit with you and have this dialogue. Because again, it's it's a it's a huge dialogue and uh, one that we continue to have. And and as I mentioned earlier, I'm continuing to have with my friends and and uh, just you, know, you start having that dialogue, and you know people start understanding the other side and, and uh, what it is that is they've missed for so long, right? And so. Yeah. And so, and so on that same note, just real quick, told you, I talked to my friend last night and I got a lot out of it. So I always say you can't apply your reality to our reality. We also have to remember that we can't apply the rules from our reality to their reality and their reality is a little bit different. Like, and so there's a couple things that I don't extend this anymore, but I'll talk to you about it on on another day. But like this couple things that he brought up and I was like, I would have never thought that that wasn't happening because our natural existence is all right, so this is happening. This is what needs to be done. We understand the next step. Right. They don't know. It's not their reality. So they don't live in it. So it's not their natural next step to this is what needs to be done. And we, as a movement, are doing a bad job at, hey, this is your next step. You want to you wanna help. You believe that this is wrong. You want to help. This is your next step. What we do is this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. We want this changed. But we don't give them a next step. And then they like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm going back to my life. <laughs> that's a very good, that's a great point. That yeah. is a very good point. So a lot of the things that I'm thinking about now is like, let's make that easier, right? Like, let's find ways to make that easier. Like, as if we're not giving them the next step, that's our fault. Like, we, because we're applying our reality to them, thinking they should understand it when we don't want them doing the same thing. That That's, that is a very valid point. And, 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 uh, um, so again, it goes back to that two-way street, right? That two-way dialogue and the true listening and understanding and getting comprehension of what each side is and coming to that median, right? Yeah. And uh, so that that is very that is very true. So I guess I'll listen to my wife and see what she's got to say. <laughs> you should be done that anyway. <laughs> Trust me, my wife's probably like you. all righty my friend well thank you so much leon (laughs) yeah this was this was quite a pleasure this was quite a pleasure um i appreciate you for joining me again i do definitely thank you for your time so absolutely sir thank you very much have a wonderful day and have a great weekend all right you too man we'll talk later all right bye-bye bye
I want to thank you for listening to this conversation. The only way we are going to move forward is to continue having conversations like these. So please, meaningfully engage with someone with no intent other than to increase your understanding. With that thought in mind, I thought it was time that I heard from you, the listeners. There is now a One Good Question hotline. Sometimes, I will be asking for your views on something specific. At other times, I may just want to hear from you. You can leave a message anytime, for any reason. And it just might end up on the show. Like this message from Matt Hongoltz-Hetling, who was one of my first guests. Hey, this goes out to our questioner-in-chief, Leon, from Matt Hongoltz-Hetling. I just wanted to say I'm optimistic about this moment, uh, not because George Floyd's murder is unique, but because it channeled the energy of decades of work by activists concerned about police brutality and its disproportionate effects on people of color. Uh, That energy and hard work isn't going away, and now millions of people will look more favorably on steps toward reform. Uh, But we also have to remember the forces of oppression aren't going to sleep either. So every move in the right direction will face resistance. So reforms won't be big enough or sweeping enough, but we're gaining some important ground here. Now this time, video evidence helped identify the police as the perpetrators of violence. But next time, righteous activists can't allow themselves to be painted as the violent ones. And so I urge everyone who cares about these issues to keep marching with peace, strength, and solidarity. Uh, that's uh, all I got. Those are my thoughts. I hope you are staying safe and well, Leon. And uh, looking forward to seeing your uh, podcast continue to grow. Bye-bye. Thanks, Matt, for taking time out of your day to send me that message. You can reach the hotline at 929-4-O-G-Q-Pod. That's 929-464-7763. Thank you again for listening to this episode, and please make sure you check out the rest of the series. This has been One Good Question. Once again, I'm your host, Leon Davis. Theme music by DJ Seth Lowry. Other music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen. To catch up with us on social, check the show notes.